Good morning. Good morning online as well. Glad you're with us this morning. So in this series, walking through the book of Galatians, kind of getting to the really practical, practical side. Paul has spent a lot of time with the theology behind where he is moving us to, and now it gets really, really practical. Like, what does it look like to live this theology out? Because what you believe is important, but if you don't live out what you believe, if you don't live like you believe it's true, then it's rather pointless. Right? It doesn't really make a difference. It's not really doesn't really matter. And so he, he moves in, in that last section we looked at last week. He, he kind of said the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Right? And it's that lived out theology. And so we're going to jump in um, kind of the middle, the, the plan over the next several weeks is we're going to finish chapter 5 this week. Next week we're going to do the start of chapter 6. And then we're going to finish on the 19th with finishing chapter 6, but more importantly kind of trying to tie everything back together. Like, what, what was Paul doing overall in this letter, and what does it mean for you and I and how we live? So, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Right? Again, using the word, he used it several times last week. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, right, here's how we relate to one another, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14. For the entire law, right? We, we've been talking a lot about the law. The law was given, but the promise was given first. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In chapter 6, he's going to call it the law of Christ, the law of the Messiah. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So here he has this fear that if we don't live out the faith we profess, then we're going to have problems within because we're going to tear people apart. Mainly, the ones who are all here confessing Christ. Now, thankfully, we don't deal with that today because things are a lot different now than they were back then. We don't really have to worry too much about devouring and tearing people apart. Things have changed. But for Paul, this is a pretty big concern. Right? All you believe is fine. But if it's not lived out here, then it's rather pointless. So, he goes on to say this, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so he has this contrast. Flesh, which is the Greek word sarks. Spirit, which is the Greek word pneuma. So I want to get Ryan and Bennett. Can you all come help me a little bit? You're going to come over here. Bennett, you're going to come over here. There we go. Don't fall off the stage. Okay? So, he talks about this contrast. Right? The flesh and the spirit. And they're pulling in opposite directions, and there is this tug-of-war going on. And his point is, we want you to walk in step, be led by the Spirit. But the problem is, is that's not always easy. Because there is this tug-of-war going on between the flesh and the Spirit. There's a a tug-of-war between Sarks and Numa. Deep, deep within our soul. And my guess is every single person in here feels that tension at different times. Where you know, and and Paul talks about it in in Romans in this way, all the things I want to do, I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, I do. And it's almost like we're trying to walk in step with the Spirit, but something is pulling us this way over and over. And our tendency is to say, well, this is just really surface level. This is kind of that that human inclination that pulls us this direction. And so it's not really anything. We need to get deeper, and if we grow deeper, then we're not going to have that struggle. But here's the problem. It still always goes back to our strength and our power. It always goes back to our ability to obey or disobey the law. And he uses that language earlier in the letter that we're trapped in this tug of war. We're trapped. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we make the decision, like today is different. Today I'm not going back. Today I'm pulled back again. And where we think this is surface level, Jesus says it's something different. Right? In Mark chapter 7, he says this. Again, Jesus called to the crowd to him. And he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Right? There, there's something deep, deep within us that pulls us in the wrong direction continuously. That pulls us further and further away 
from Christ. Have you ever felt that tension? Have you in your life ever felt this tension? I really, really, really want to follow Jesus. But I am pulled back and forth. And he says, if, if you're in the flesh, then you're under the law. But we're living life in the Spirit, and so we're not bound by the law. Right? This is not about your power and your strength to obey. So he says you're not under the law, and then in our minds, it seems like he gives us some laws. So he says this in verse um, 19, I think, 19. The acts of the flesh, right? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. Maybe your translation says wild parting. That's probably a much better translation than the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think that's where we get that mindset. Like, okay, we're going to pull against all we have. We're going to be strong. We're going to be stronger than our desires. We're going to be stronger than the temptation. And we're going to make it. Because we want to inherit the kingdom of God. And these are obvious and what's really interesting is about this list that he gives. One, it's not exhaustive. It's not saying here's everything. But the first three are kind of expected. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. People would expect that. The next two, people would really expect. Idolatry and witchcraft, those are very much part of a pagan culture. And then the last two, Factions, or I'm sorry, drunkenness and orgies. Drunkenness and wild partying. Like we would expect that. In this pagan culture, we would expect those things. What we wouldn't expect is the middle eight. That would totally be outside of their realm of thinking. He says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Every one of those, and really all of them, but specifically that middle eight, is very much relational. Right? When this tug-of-war is happening relationships with one another become more and more difficult. Right? When relational tug-of-war is happening within our heart, it makes this relationship with other people difficult. It makes it difficult for the people that you go to school with. It makes it difficult for your spouse. It makes it difficult for the people you work with. Why? Because all of these things start to creep into our life, and we know 
we know what our life is supposed to look like. Right? They're obvious. But there is something that pulls against us inside that makes it so difficult to follow. And it's warning to us. You have to watch out. Because if you don't, you will destroy one another. Right? These are really, really important for unity. Because when these are growing in us, that means they're growing in our churches. And when they're growing in our churches, unity becomes really, really, really difficult. Because people start doing things for themselves. Now here's the problem. When we get a list like this, y'all just kind of hang out for a second. When we get a list like this, and we start thinking about a sin, we start asking ourselves, where is the line? All right, here, here's the problem with this mentality. Where is the line? Like, what, what does this actually mean? What, what does it mean to commit adultery? Is, is it sex? Is it a relationship with someone that doesn't become sexual? Like, where, where is the line? That's what we start thinking about, right? Where is the line? What does it actually mean to commit adultery? And the whole time we're asking that question, there is this tug of war. There is this battle going on within us. Like, that's too far. No. That's, no. Go. That we're caught in the middle. And we start focusing on, let's define it. What does that really mean? And not only do we start to try to define it, we start to look at it in other people. So I need to get some, some helpers. You mind helping me, Jason? But none of these people have committed this sin. They're just stand-ins. These are actors. Amy, do you want to borrow you? Yes, that looks like Amy. Trish, can I borrow you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Joseph, Lisa, you want to help? Joseph, let's see. Oh, yeah, Joseph, this is you. Let's see. Help? Oh, I didn't give. Lisa, that's definitely you. Ben, can I get you? What, what did I give you? Murder. Murder, okay. Yeah, all right. Ben? Let's see. Lying. Caleb, can I can I get you? There we go. There. You want to help Connor? No. J Jacob, will you help me? Coveting. So here here's what we do when we talk about sin. Is we start to look at our sin and we try to rank it. Right? I, I wouldn't 
ever do this. Definitely wouldn't do this. Just right. Yeah. Probably not this. That's not a big struggle. Come, come on over here. I might steal someone's answer on that. You want to step up on that first step right there, right here. I, I got it right. Yeah, right here. I got to rank these. Like that. Like no one would know if that one is mine. So just, just right there. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, go, you go on up there. That's close, but that's not that bad. And then this one, probably, yeah, right behind, right behind Ben. And then, yeah, you're, you're right behind Gluttony. And you're right in front of Gluttony. See, see, and mine, mine's not that big of a deal. And the ones we want to be the hardest on are the ones that we're never going to commit. The ones we're the most judgmental towards are the ones that we don't struggle with. And our tendency to say, look at them. I'm so much better. And you can replace this with any other one up here. And the problem when we do this is one, we elevate other people's sins above our own. Right? We elevate other people's sins above our own. But the other side of that problem is we minimize our sins and our need for Jesus. Look at them. Look what they do. And the whole time, there is this tug of war going on between me and myself, the flesh and the spirit that is pulling me. But, but this really, this isn't that bad compared to what they do. Thank you. Y'all can all sit down. Thank you. Just set them right there on the lamb wherever they are. your tendency is to start looking at what everyone else does and minimize what we do. And the point Paul's been making the whole time is if you can't follow the law fully, part of it, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because it's not, hey, can you just follow part of it? It's can you follow all of it? And our hope is that, man, we can be strong enough to resist and everything will be okay. And our, our standing in our mind with God is not really based on what we do. It's based on our perception of what other people do. And the severity of that sin in our eyes and in our mind is based on our proximity to it. And the things that we're the most 
condemning and judgmental towards are the things that we don't struggle with personally. And we think, how in the world could someone ever struggle with that? See, and I think God would say, we have this list, and the problem is all of those things. Put, put verse 19 through 21 back up there. All of these things don't look like life in my new world. Right? With Jesus' death and His resurrection, this new age, this new world has begun. And to live like this doesn't look like you are living as the people of God in this world. You're not representing Him. And we want to walk in step with the law by our flesh, but that doesn't give life. He says instead, walk in step with the Spirit because it gives life. In fact, it allows fruit to flow out. Verse 22, he says this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, thank you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So, so here's this list of things that life doesn't look like in my kingdom. But now here is what happens when you're walking in step with my spirit, and it does look like life in my new world. We see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self. We see those things in our life. We see, and not just like this human nature trying to be more joyful or trying to be, but this supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit, right? The same Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and gives life to you. And he says this, against such things there is no law. Right? In a culture with so many different laws, you had the pagan laws, you had the, the Jewish laws, you had the Greco-Roman laws. There's no one, there's no one in that world that can say these are bad. Because here's the honest truth, is this is how the world was intended to be. And every single one of us, and every single person on the face of this earth, I think, has a longing for the world as it should be. We're just not real sure how to get there. Is it just try harder? Come on, you can make it, you can do it, you're good enough. And so he goes on to say this in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And now we walk in step with the Spirit. And at times, at times I wonder if we've just baptized behavior modification 
and called it transformation and faith. Rather than introducing people to Jesus, the God who created them, the God who loves them, the God who laid his life down for them, and allowing them to come face to face with the Savior of the world and fall in love with him and surrender their life being crucified with Him in the waters and raised into a new world where God is transforming and changing everything about you. Rather than, let's just try harder. Because this time is going to be different. Because at the end of the day, it's probably not. At the end of the day, it's probably not. And the same thing that confronted Sarah and Abraham, do you have enough faith to trust in God's plan? Do you have enough faith to believe that even though you're 100 years old, that even though your wife is 90 and barren, do you have enough faith to believe that God can still bring life out of a dead womb? Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to trust and live it out? Because for you and I, the question is, do you trust that God's plan is better than your plan? Do you trust that God's plan is better than yours. And I think every single one of us say, yes, 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 we do, we do, we do. But throughout this letter, Paul has been saying faith in Christ equals new life in Christ. But here's my guess. is When we put the equation up, every one of us still has a blank. Something else we think we must do because we know about all this. We know about all of our junk. We know about everything that we carry. We know everything that we try to hide. We know everything we do to try to make ourselves look righteous and look the part. And so if we just go to church enough, or if we're passionate enough in worship, or if we're really good at all the other sins, or if we serve, then, then maybe God could overlook our sin. Then, maybe. But the problem is, is this mentality of let's define it. What does that mean? Because Paul's answer isn't, hey, let's try as hard as we can. It's stop focusing on this and stop focusing on where the line is and what can I do and get away with and still be okay and start following Jesus. Right? And he used this as an analogy of walk and step. 
where we're just following the step. Because if we're focused on Jesus, we don't get to see all the other stuff. And that pursuit is lifelong. It doesn't come to this moment where it's like, okay, today's good, I'm never going back, everything's going to change. But tomorrow that tension is still there. And tomorrow we have to say, God, I'm again dying to myself. I'm being baptized again into you, and I'm being raised into this new world. Father, help me today to follow you. Help me to follow Jesus. Maybe that's the greatest prayer we could ever pray. Father, help me today to follow Jesus. Father, help me today to walk in step with Jesus. Help me to line up with your Spirit. Because if we don't, if we don't, we will destroy one another. How many times in our world do we see people come into churches and walk away bruised and battered and hurting because of the way they were treated? Well, but they, they've got to follow the truth. They've got to know the truth. I agree. But do you know you can be right and say the right thing in the wrong way and still be wrong? Because the bigger question is how do we serve one another humbly in love? Because sometimes serving one another humbly in love means saying, hey, you're sinning and your life needs to change. But if we can't recognize our own sin, then we can't do that humbly. What if the most powerful witness in the world is a unified body of Christ? What if the most powerful witness of God's power is a unified body? So a couple things to kind of, kind of wrap up. We're torn up enough outside these walls. It should be different inside. Because I have met so many people who said, I grew up in a church, I tried going to a church, and I will never set foot back inside the doors because of the way that I was treated. I will never set foot back inside of a church because of the way I was treated. Grant, I know there are times that people leave on their own because they aren't willing to really submit to Christ, and I, I get all that. And I've had those conversations with people too. But from my experience, I've had far more of people who are hurt, ridiculed, judged, and have said, I just can't go back. Second, we are called to be witnesses of Christ, and it begins with our unity in here. And all we do is we complain about the division out here. The church is supposed to lead the way in that unity. The, the picture of the body of Christ is supposed to be leading the way in that. And this is what the world should be. And then third, and I believe this wholeheartedly, I believe Shiloh is a place for healing. 
Because I have talked to so many people who have come here hurting from their experiences at other churches and say they are finding life again. But please understand this. That is not because Shiloh, that is simply because of Jesus. As the body of Christ, we are called to live out a life of Christ. And as the Spirit builds us up, the flesh tries to tear us down. And as we gather, we have the power to pull for each other. That we would see the Spirit of Christ in one another. Father, we thank You so much for this day. God, we're thankful for Your grace. We're thankful for Your mercy. Father, we're sorry when we pretend that we have it all together. We're sorry when we pretend we don't need Your grace as badly as every other person on this earth. We're sorry when we really reflect um, the flesh to this world and call it the Spirit of Christ. But Father, today, would You once again transform us, change us, and make us more like Jesus so that the world would see the goodness and the glory of our God. May we follow today as we die to ourself, surrender all we have, and once again follow Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.